0: This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to our show, Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams from Southern California.
2: And I'm Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And, Bob? I write a blog called Law Sites and a second blog called Media Law, both of which are at LegalLine.com.
1: Well, today's topic is the New Jersey Viox trial.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about this case. We're going to have a discussion about the trial. Uh, there has uh, been a number of interesting developments as this case has proceeded. And Friday had its its own news, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, and uh, we have some pretty good guests uh, to discuss it with us today. Craig?
1: Well, there's a lot at stake, as you know, Bob. Uh, let's get started with this discussion. I'd like to introduce our guests, and we're going to start with Attorney Sam Davis. Sam is a partner at Davis, Saperstein and Solomon. His expertise is in complex personal injury, medical malpractice, nursing malpractice, and pharmaceutical product liability. Mr. Davis has served as chairman for the ATLA Medical Device Product Liability Section and MDA Mass Tort Propulsed Science Committee, and he is a sustaining member of the Association of Trial Lawyers of America. He attends the Viox trial in Atlantic City every day to gather information for his own cases and has spoken to the media at some length about the case. Welcome to the program, Sam.
3: Great to be here.
1: And next we'd like to introduce
2: uh, Lisa Brennan. Lisa is a staff reporter for the New Jersey Law Journal, and she's uh, been closely monitoring the trial. She's been attending uh, some of the sessions live and and, uh, watching others over Court TV and and, uh, writing about the trial for the New Jersey Law Journal. Lisa, thanks for joining us.
4: Sure, thanks, Bob.
1: And our final guest is Alan Klein. Alan is a defense lawyer from Dwayne Morris. Mr. Klein has actively litigated cases, uh, class action cases and mass tort cases and many MDL proceedings. He was appointed as MDL liaison counsel for a pharmaceutical manufacturer in the diet drug litigation for FenFen and has defended federal and state court litigation in PPA cases. In addition to defending Afedra cases, Mr. Klein is currently representing clients in pharmaceuticals pricing litigation. Welcome to the show, Alan.
5: Thanks very much for having me.
2: As we know, uh, Viox was taken off the market by Mark last fall after a series of problems were brought to light by patients and an FDA whistleblower. Viox was used to reduce pain and inflammation associated with arthritis. Uh, Food and Drug Administration had approved its approved it for human use in 1999.
1: Well, what's one of the questions that we have? What do you think? Uh, and I'll throw this one out to the guests about the uh, why Viox was so popular, and and did they pay any attention to the side effects?
5: Well, uh, I think Sam is in a better position to know about Viox specifically. I mean, I know what uh, I've read about the uh, drug. This is Alan Klein, and I think that uh, the reason Viox uh, was developed was to. Uh, prevent gastrointestinal bleeding, which occurred with traditional pain medications like aspirin. And uh, the uh, developers of Vioxx and Merck felt that they had a drug that cut down the risks of sometimes fatal uh, gastrointestinal bleeds and uh, brought the drug to the FDA for approval. The FDA approved it, and uh, it was put on the market.
3: Alan, that's actually very accurate, but not the complete story. What is unfolding uh, at this trial? One of the themes is the battle to the finish line between Merck and its arch-rival, Pfizer, to get to the market with the first COX-2, a specific inhibitor of one of the two agents that this jury has heard so much about, prostacyclin and thromboxane. It was a battle to uh, deliver the first GI-safe drug. Um, And the backdrop of that battle is looming large, especially in the emails that have been presented uh, to this jury. This battle was a must-win, take no prisoners, do whatever we have to do, tell the FDA uh, some things that... uh, I think the jury may very well find were incomplete or uh, misleading, but uh, the the prize, the cherry, the rainbow at the end of this uh, the long approval process was a blockbuster drug, and this jury has heard that the miracle drug, Vioxx, delivered. Its reward, which was a billion dollars in sales the first year, and it went up to two point five billion dollars a year before it was withdrawn from the market.
2: Sam, I read I read that you have, I think, more than a hundred cases pending involving Vioxx, and you've been attending this trial on a daily basis. Why is why are so many eyes focused on this trial? What's the significance of this case beyond the parties?
3: Well, I suppose the significance of this case is that it is the first bellwether trial in the country. Now, the Texas trial was uh, certainly um, uh, illustrative of what some juries uh, might do, but most of the cases in this litigation are either before the MDL, which uh, was based in New Orleans, Louisiana, and, of course, uh, because of Katrina had to move over to Houston, where Judge Eldon Fallon, is presiding. I think that accounts for a a little over 2,200 filed cases. Most of the cases uh, currently pending are pending before Judge Tigby in the consolidated litigation down here in Atlantic County, New Jersey. So the the significance of a bellwether trial is that they are um, set up, that the cases are actually chosen in a process devised by the judge to establish both the probable liability and damages that would flow from, let's call them different types of typical cases, and uh, Mike Thomas's case is in some ways a typical case of a fairly healthy person uh, who takes BiOX for a short period of time and suffers a heart attack.
1: So let's let's set the groundwork here. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, BiOX is being blamed for blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, and some deaths—maybe as many as fifty thousand deaths. What's your uh, Evaluation of the the breadth of this thing.
5: Well, you're talking to me or to Sam. I could tell you that in the diet drug cases, we had uh, you know tens of thousands uh, of claims by people claiming they had heart valve problems uh, after taking Fenfen, and we found that uh, many of the people that claimed to have uh, suffered an injury did not, and a lot of the cases were dismissed, and a lot of them were settled very cheaply. A lot of people came out to sue, but very few, very very few, were really. Uh, injured by the drug itself. And I think the same may be true in the Vioxx situation. I think it's gotten a lot of publicity. Obviously, the uh, verdict in Texas uh, was not helpful to Merck, but uh, it was a Texas jury, and this is a, uh, probably a better jury up here in New Jersey. And, uh, and I, I think, I don't know, my own view is that if you allow the jury to hear a complete timeline from when the drug was developed uh, through its approval by the FDA, through its withdrawal, and let the jury decide... Uh, which case is more persuasive, Merck's or Mr. Humiston's, I think you really have done a better thing than to try to truncate the evidence, uh, which created, as you know, on Friday, a terrible dispute between the judge and Merck's counsel. Uh, Well, I I I
3: can't agree that that was a truncation of evidence. That was a submarining of evidence. But uh, let me uh, 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 share um, your thought, Alan, that um, in in some mass torts there are a lot of cases that just don't hold any water.
5: Absolutely. In this case...
3: This case comes on the heels of the first major study in which 500% more people had heart attacks than on a comparator, on Naperson. And what is extraordinary about this trial is that more so than any of the mass torts I've ever seen, it's the pharmaceutical company that is trying to bring into the court some very questionable Some might say junk science. They have come out with a theory in response to a study that was so dramatic. The email showed that it almost knocked the head of their uh, 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 science uh, research out of his chair in the boardroom. It showed that according to the number two man uh, in charge of the FDA's uh, section on uh, patient safety, that there may have been upwards of 100 I think he said one hundred and thirty thousand excess heart attacks as a result of the pro clotting effects of this drug.
5: Well, that's Dr. Graham, and I think Dr. Graham uh, has been shown to have an agenda, and I think that uh, I think his, uh, his estimate may be overblown with regard to the box. The issue in New Jersey uh, in the Humiston case is, what did Merck know? I mean, it's a consumer fraud case, in part. And the real question is, what did Merck know, and when did they know it? And I think that uh, the jury's being asked to determine that. Now, it's a question of fact evidence. It's a question of expert opinion evidence. But I think the jury ought to have a pretty full deck from which to choose You know, whose card to believe. And I just think that sometimes when you try to... Uh, uh, limit the evidence and circumscribe it, and so forth. Uh, I just think that leads the problems. I think that the situation on Friday, for example, could have been better handled uh, by both by Merck's counsel and the judge, uh, perhaps in chambers uh, to negotiate as an acceptable compromise of the different viewpoints and I'll let some of the evidence in from this Mr. Morrison at Merck. I think that obviously some of what he testified to was relevant and germane, and I think even Mr. Humiston's counsel. Uh, indicated as much to the judge, and I was surprised that the judge threw the whole testimony. out. That's very unusual for a judge to to take that kind of aggressive uh, position in Lee, a case.
2: I wonder if I could ask Lisa to just bring us up to date on, on, on what did happen on Friday and, and whether there have been any further developments this morning uh, as a follow-up to that.
4: Um, I do not know if the defense has um, gone through with what they said they were going to do, which was ask the judge to file a, um, to cons- reconsider her decision to strike the testimony. Um, and I don't know if they filed an appeal. Um, it, she relied on a state Supreme Court case, which says that the actual testimony of a witness has to be Um, consistent with earlier testimony, like in depositions. And in this case, um, Merck's, um, um, Briggs Morrison, the witness who was the first guy to take the stand, was intended to put a face on the company, make the company seem human. He'd been sitting in on the trial every day, and uh, yes, he's a medical doctor, but his role was not to be up there being a scientist. His role was to answer questions about the emails that were in evidence, and and to be consistent with what his earlier deposition testimony uh, said, and what he did instead was he presented he he was presenting um, expert pharmacology testimony talking about rabbit studies that uh, were published in um uh, a Canadian journal, and that, from my understanding haven 't been given much scientific credence, but whatever he talked, and he was a very good witness, he spoke directly to the jury. And all the testimony was given to the jury. So even though the judge struck the testimony, it was after the fact. And the testimony has really already had its impact. Um, today, Elise Rison, who is another Merck scientist who did testify at the Texas trial, is on the stand. And since Sam is there, he can maybe talk about that. But... Um, It's my impression that, um, really, this hasn't hurt Merck a whole lot. What happened on Friday hasn't hurt Merck. I mean, yes, it got a lot of attention because of the way Diane Sullivan, the defense lawyer, the lead defense counsel, acted, and the exchange between the judge and Diane. But um, I don't think it's going to have much of an an impact on Merck's case.
2: Well, I had read somewhere that uh, some speculation that Merck was was hoping for a mistrial. Do you think there's anything to that?
3: I'd like to comment on that because uh, I will tell you that there are unmistakable signs in my mind that Merck is unhappy about the way the case is going in. They're unhappy about uh, the jury's questions that have been asked, and they're unhappy about the judicial, uh, the the evidential rulings. And uh, they made a calculated attempt to bait the judge into saying something or doing something which would create a mistrial. I think they are also trying to create a factual basis uh, for claiming that uh, this judge was not handling herself in a uh, a manner appropriate uh, for this trial, and I think they failed miserably. Um, I will tell you that after that exchange, uh, one of the lawyers uh, leaned over and uh, uh, told uh, the plaintiff's legal team, uh, Chris uh, Seeger and Dave Buchanan, leaned over and said, you see, this judge is getting bounced. And I can also tell you there were a couple other very strange things that happened that day as far as, you know, as far as the, the this, this premeditation. One of them was certainly they brought in um, Ted Mayer, um, who has not been doing press relations. He is uh, uh, Deckard's uh, chief of uh, of... Uh, of the litigation, and and he covered the press that day, and also he's actually
5: with Hughes Hubbard. Uh, I'm name. sorry,
3: with Hughes Hubbard. I apologize. And uh, it was it was it just seemed very clear from the reaction of the defense that this was a calculated attempt to um, uh, uh, add some fuel to um, their motions for mistrial. And as you, you probably know. Uh, I think there've been an unprecedented six motions for mistrial by the defense in this case and one motion for a uh, directed verdict.
2: At the same time the judge's comments on Friday were were pretty dramatic.
3: They were dramatic but they in no way um reflected any degree of impartiality nor were they communicated to the jury in fact as Lisa pointed out when the judge got back on the bench she said uh, she told the jury that the testimony of this witness is stricken, they can put them on on videotape, um, and, uh, but, but said specifically, this is not to be considered uh, as a result of any um, wrongdoing by either of the parties. So the jury may be a little nonplussed about this whole event, but it's certainly uh, what, what transpired before the jury certainly is not prejudicial.
1: Well, Alan, what is it about uh, the plaintiff in this case, who I think is a, is a 60-year-old, Frederick Humiston, East, claims to have suffered a heart attack and uh, two months after he started taking Vioxx to relieve pain from a Vietnam War wound. What is it that, about him that's coming across so well?
5: Well, I I wasn't there. I haven't evaluated his testimony uh, from having observed it, but uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I think it's like any other plaintiff testifying, I mean, he feels uh, strongly that uh... he took the biox and he had a heart attack and he's tied the two together and I, we had the same thing happen in the diet drug cases with people taking Fenfen and then all of a sudden discovering that they have a heart murmur, which they may have had since birth. So, uh, what caused Mr. Humiston's heart attack? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I haven't participated in this case. But uh, heart attacks happen. It happens uh, to people who are 50, 60, 70. And it can happen for all sorts of reasons, some of which, I think all of which, have been brought out in this case uh, hypertension, stress. Uh, I guess to some extent obesity, although that's that's not been a strong argument for his particular heart attack. Uh, I think that Merck's defense is that uh, he didn't take it for a long enough period or consistently enough uh, to have uh, developed a uh, heart attack from the drug. Uh, and Merck's case is that uh, you've got to take it 18 months or longer uh, based on some studies that they have. Uh, and uh, they don't feel that the, the, the Mr. Humiston heart attack was caused by the Vioxx. So, I mean, I'm sure the jury has uh, carefully listened to the plaintiff's case, and I think it's up to Merck now to present in a clear, uh, very understandable way to the jury uh, the scientific evidence, how and why the drug was developed, what it was intended to do, uh, what steps they took in getting the drug approved by the FDA. They have to talk intelligently and honestly about the clinical trials and the results Uh, If they didn't feel there was any increased risk of uh, cardiovascular events or heart attacks or stroke, uh, they should indicate why they didn't feel that way, what was it about the clinical trials which didn't lead them to that conclusion. And also post-marketing, once the drug was approved by the FDA, uh, what did they do to continue to find out? As much as they could about the Vioxx and its impact on human health. And if they present their scientists, the executives, their marketing people, the outside experts uh, in a careful, logical way with clear, understandable testimony, I think Merck will put on a good case, just as the the plaintiff has.
2: We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we can uh, follow up with our guests on uh, their conversation about the New Jersey Vioxx trial.
0: We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email.
1: Well, welcome back to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams.
0: I'm Bob Ambrogi.
2: Thanks for joining us. We're back with our guests, and we're discussing the uh, New Jersey Viox trial.
1: We're going to rejoin with our guests, Sam Davis, Lisa Brennan, and Alan Klein. And I think right before the break, Alan was discussing some issues that I wanted to follow up on. Uh, Sam, Merck is just beginning its defense, but I believe that they're talking that Mr. the plaintiff, Mr. Humiston, had risk factors in age, gender, obesity, sedentary lifestyle, hypertension, cholesterol, and stress. How do you think that's going to sell with this jury?
3: Mike Comiston is as close to an American hero as I've ever seen get on a witness stand Here's a guy who re-ups for combat after he's been uh, wounded by shrapnel once. He gets a second Purple Heart. He comes back. The guy's worked his entire life. He's got 25 years in uh, with, uh, with the post office. In his spare time, he's an outdoorsman who likes to go out into the, uh, notwithstanding his shrapnel wounds, he likes to go out into the, the, the desert and, and hike for three days. Um, I think the jury can see in this case that uh, Merck is putting anything they can, throwing it up against the wall. For example, stress. <clears throat> okay, uh, there's testimony that he had some stress, but he's had stress all his life. I mean, certainly when he was uh, doing his uh, second tour in Vietnam, he had a lot of stress. Um, I think that Homiston uh, um, is probably in the upper 10% of low-stress plaintiffs um, in this uh, litigation. Um, the other interesting thing about about Mike Hummiston is that you know he had this heart attack and uh, he was out of work for a while and he was hospitalized and uh, all of his doctors agree that uh, Merck uh, uh, that Merck's product had uh, a role in his heart attack, but he is very much low-keying uh, his injury. Uh, the jury has not uh, heard anything that would uh, suggest that there is overreaching in terms of uh, of his damages. And he's a soft-spoken guy, a few words, uh, but clearly this heart attack uh, has um, has affected his life. I think Merck's tactic here is is going to backfire because what they are doing is they are, um, you know, by kind of delving into every crevice of his life, like how much stress he had at the post office. Stress, by the way, being a very much secondary risk factor, or looking at a guy a guy's weight who stands in the court, is probably one of the most fit 60-year-olds um, uh, you can imagine. Um, I, I, I think that when the jury uh, looks at him, they are going to uh, uh, realize that uh, a couple of things. Number one, he's a healthy guy. He was a healthy guy before his heart attack. And the second thing is that all these um, other risk factors, like stress, they spent hours and hours on stress. There's, there's no warning label that says people with stress should stay away from this drug. So I think that what Merck has done in this trial is they have tried to rely on some other tactics. And taking this back to why uh, I think Alan uh, feels that the judge uh, overreacted, um, you know, the opening salvo in this case, um, uh, the, the defense pulled out the, the tort reform card and laid it right in front of the jury. And... Um, Then they proceeded to not name one pharmacologist to talk about drug safety, but tried to get on all these studies by internists like Briggs Morrison, who was kicked off the stand, and by the witness who's testifying uh, today, uh, Elise Ray Sin. Delightful witness. Delightful witness. They're trying to get in some of their most technical, expert opinions through people who should really not be giving expert opinions. Um, They got burnt by doing that by the judge, because the judge felt that, uh, uh, that Briggs Morrison misrepresented um, his direct knowledge and his role in the development of this drug. Briggs Morrison actually testified, but, on, but outside the presence of the jury, that the data that he was shown, he was only shown that data days before the trial.
2: Lisa, can I ask you uh, what uh, you've been watching this trial and writing about this trial? What what uh, is likely to be the impact of of a plaintiff verdict or a defense verdict? What, what how how is this case likely to affect future uh, Vioxx cases?
4: Um, I think. Um, well, Merck has a lot riding on this. They're spending a lot of money on their defense, and the plaintiff, the whole plaintiff's bar, does too. Um, what I, I just wanted to go back to. Um, what Sam was saying, um, about the, uh, the plaintiff is a healthy guy and he just doesn't come off as a healthy guy, but he had, um, three or four, uh, four cardiologists say that, um, his own personal cardiologist, the emergency room cardiologist that he saw when he had the heart attack, and then, uh, two others who, um, are like nationally known cardiologists say that his blood vessels are clear and they're large, and, you know, that um, two of them said that um, viox most likely, if any drug were to cause it, viox would have caused it. And in New Jersey, the jury simply has to find that Viox was a significant contributing factor to, to his heart attack. And it seems as though the message in the plaintiff's case got across the question is, will Merck be able to counter it with the stress? I think their, the stress argument is the best argument they have and um and the one interesting thing that I'd like to point out is that in New Jersey, as uh, Sam said, the jurors can ask questions, and when the plaintiff was on the stand um, at the end of his testimony, the jurors asked him four or five questions, and one of the questions was, "How was he able to work nonstop stop for eight hours?" because he had to request a change of his assignment from carrying mail and being on his feet a lot to a desk job. And um, his answer was that he simply um, was able to do it because he would get out at 3 in the afternoon and go home and have dinner, and he didn't need to eat for those eight hours. And another question was uh, how was he affected by the events of 9-11? And, you know, I um, uh, It's just interesting to see what the jury's asking about. Um, And you
2: try and read into that and see what they're thinking.
4: Right, Um, because they're really smart questions. They don't give you a clear picture of whether the jury's siding with the plaintiff or the defense. Um, But the jury is composed of some, um, you know, kind of um, like... Not working class folks. It, they're like they're more educated. It seems there's a wife of a doctor. There's a county prosecutor, a Camden County prosecutor, who was a defense lawyer for a while, insurance defense lawyer. And so, you know, it, it'll be really interesting. It's a it's a whole different jury than the one in Texas.
1: Alan, one of the last questions I wanted to ask about was the estimate from Anthony Butler at Lehman Brothers, who says that Merck's Vioxx liability is between five billion and ten billion. Uh, maybe even as high as 50 billion according to other analysts. Merck's taken a pretty hard hit with, uh, the 253 million dollar verdict in Texas. It's probably gonna drop down to maybe 26 million with the, with, uh, the restrictions that are That's there. That's correct, yeah. Um, with your experience with the FENFEN trial, what do you take away from this, and where do you think uh, Merck's ultimate liability is going to lie?
5: Well, we're not quite sure uh, what's going to happen in terms of the remainder of the cases. There are 5,000 cases out there. These are, these are the first two. Judge Higby has, the, uh, I guess, the remaining 2,399 in her court uh, after the uh, Humiston case. Uh, a lot depends on whether the cases are tried one at a time and also what the results are. There may be, uh, may be an easier remedy for both sides in mediation. Uh, of the remaining cases or a global settlement uh, of some of the cases. Uh, I think the earlier cases will be important in determining uh, the uh, success of the Merck defense and the success of uh, plaintiff's cases, be they heart attack uh, or or death cases. And I think a lot will uh, depend on what happens uh, after Humiston and after maybe the next couple of cases after Humiston. Uh, I think one of the... uh, Lisa mentioned some of the questions from the jury, and I just wanted to comment on one thing. Uh, I guess the jurors also try to find out for Mr. Humiston what other drugs he was taking, whether the uh, the, uh, 9-11... Attack on the World Trade Center caused additional stress. What they were doing uh, is what doctors do, and uh, I guess what Merck is doing to try to find out what the alternative possible causes are of mr humston 's heart attack so Merck 's defense is is entirely logical it 's what we ask doctors to do uh, every day of the week. Uh, if we should have a heart attack, we want to know why and so uh, uh, humston 's uh, doctors have asked that question Merck 's doctors are also asking the question, and I guess ultimately the jury will determine what caused the heart attack.
2: I'm sorry to say that's all the time we we have for today. We really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us. We'd like to thank again our guests, uh, Sam Davis of Davis-Saperstein-Solomon, Lisa Brennan, reporter for the New Jersey Law Journal, and Alan Klein, a defense lawyer from Dwayne Morris in Philadelphia. Thanks to all of you for joining us today.
5: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Jake Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.